Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 5 through 25. When you find your place, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will bear will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach from among the people. It's reading the word. You may be seated. Now, oftentimes it seems our, our culture changes all the time, and there's new customs that come about. And one of these new customs is called a baby revealing party. Has anybody ever been to one of those? Well, what what happens oftentimes is there'll be there'll be a a mystery box that's placed, and and after the mom and dad have found out if they're having a boy or a girl, they'll gather all their friends and have a kind of a pre-baby shower party. And at, at the very end, they'll they'll lift the lid, and either pink or blue balloons comes out, and they they know if it's going to be a son or daughter, grandson, granddaughter, or whatever the relation is to the child. And it's it's a fun time. It's a, it's in a time of expectation because they know that that day is coming where where they'll be able to celebrate and hold their child. As we as we see two young ones with us today, we we give God thanks for that. Amen. But what if you're more like Zechariah and Elizabeth? What if you're not able to have that baby shower revealing party? What if God has not blessed you with children? My my wife and I were married for seven years before we were able to have a child. It was no no small feat. Many doctors and things were, were visited that, that went into that. That's why I said earlier I could identify with this story. I was not like Zechariah where I would have stood before Gabriel and said, Well, I'm too old to have children. But I know the pain of not being able to have children. I know the pain Zechariah had as a husband not being able to console his wife. 
For in this culture, it's very much the same, but even more so in Zechariah's day. For Elizabeth not to be able to conceive a child was to be considered a divine punishment, that something was going on. So we have this this play of words where we're told Zechariah, (coughs) excuse me, Zechariah and Elizabeth are, are told to be righteous and blameless before God. This is not saying that they are sinless, but that when they sinned, they, they did what was required by God to repent and be made right with Him. And so you could only imagine that in their culture, in their society, especially in their hometown where they are, here is this well-respected priest and, and his wife who, who are descendants of Aaron himself, but they have no child. So we could only imagine the whispers that would be going on behind the scenes, the, the synagogue gossip, if you will. Of what what closet sin do they have? What skeleton is in there that, that God is not allowing them to have children? And sometimes we, we need to realize that you know maybe God isn't giving us what we want just yet because it is not yet time. That God is going to do something glorious and something wonderful and be able to give us a testimony. But we got to stop rushing Him. Maybe the God's will for my life was not to have a child in the first year of my marriage. And I've been... Been married now 17 years. Give God praise for that. And seven of the or nine of those years now that you know has been with my daughter, and we give God praise for that. At the same same time, you know, we had those whispers. What's going on? Why can't they have a child? For seven years at every family function, it was painful. You know, get together for Christmas. When you guys having a baby? Get together for Thanksgiving, your birthday. You guys having a baby yet? What's going on? Is there something the matter? You know, at some point, I didn't punch anybody, but I felt like it. You know, the, every time it's like that knife was jabbed a little farther deeper in your back. Like reminding you, you guys are the ones that are doing it right. You got married first, and you're Christians. You go to church, and all this, and everybody else that is not is having babies left and right, and you're kind of scratching your head like, God, what's going on? You know, you know uh, we've been praying. What's going on here? But it was, it was not yet to be. It was not yet our time. So I, I want us to, to remember this. When, when you're, you're facing something, understand that maybe God's got something better in store, that He's not just going to answer your prayer, but He's going to answer your prayer in a mighty way, in a, in a time and a place that you have not yet perceived. So when, when you hear those snickers next time, just sit back and wait on God. I know it's hard, but do it. It is well worth it. So as we look into Zechariah, we need to do a little bit of background. Zechariah, of course, is a priest. Um, And the way the priests were divided up, there was one head priest. He was called the chief priest. And he would be the chief priest for an entire year. Then under him, there were were 12 priests that were in charge over the the 12 priestly orders. And then in each priestly order, there, there were... There were families that that consisted of priests. They were all from the tribe of Levi. In total, there was about 18,000 priests. That's a lot of priests. So when we think about it, what's happening here when it says when it was the time for the service, the calendar was divided up into into 24 um, um, sections of weeks where the the tribes would um, serve. The, The tribe of Levi, the 12 orders of the priests would serve. And so twice a year, Zechariah's order of Abijah would go to the temple and serve. And so uh, his, his group would have had about 1,500 priests. And so they would come together, and, and each week before they start out, they, they, would, they would do lots to see who would do what, what, work, what, week, what work each week. And as they're going through this, the, 
the, the odds, as you can imagine, are quite astronomical. There would be 1 in 1,500 to be chosen to burn incense. If you were chosen, this is the greatest honor a priest could have, is to burn incense, um, because the, the altar here, if you want to go to the slide with the temple, show you a little bit. What, what Zechariah, when he gets chosen by Lot, what he would have to do is, after they've burnt an animal sacrifice on the altar, he would go there and take a coal with tongs and, and put it in this device, and then with the other priests that have been chosen for the responsibilities, would go into the temple. And right, right uh, before the Holy of Holies was this large uh, curtain, this large veil. And it, it was beautiful, but... Um, at, at the bottom of those steps, there, w- there was an altar where you would burn incense that was to symbolize the prayers of the people. And, and it was a very sacred task because as the smoke would hit the curtain, it is actually going into the Holy of Holies. And so you as the priests are chosen to do this. One time in your life you got to do this if you were lucky, if God had chosen you through, through the choosing of lots. So we, we understand the, the great virtue that, that um, Zechariah is blessed with. But with that also comes kind of an asterisk. If you were found to be unworthy while you were burning incense, you'd be struck down by God dead. And that's not something we, we, we like to think about. I, to, to, I know Brother Mike, he's been a preacher with me and others that have, have shared the word or partaken in the Lord's table Imagine, Brother Mike, next time you come up here to preach and maybe you just didn't quite get your heart right before service and God said, nope, he wasn't right. He's done. It's not something we, you and I think about, but this is what is going through Zechariah's mind. What a great honor. I could only imagine him running to his wife Elizabeth and said, I've been chosen to burn incense before the Lord. What greater honor could he ever have? And she would have been ecstatic for him. But as, as we go on, I want us to, to realize that while this is a great honor, it's the greatest risk he's ever going to take in his life. He has to be right before God for this. And as we look, I want to read to you from uh, uh, Leviticus uh, chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now this, these weren't just any priests that did this. Aaron, the very first high priest, his two sons are the one that did this. His sons were struck down. God is not going to spare anyone because of your family lineage. And so we have with, with from that time, um, in, in what's called the, the Talmud, where where the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they, they gathered rules together that they would teach kind of similar to our modern day seminary. And we, we don't read it in the Scripture, and this is an important lesson for us, that we need to make sure we stick close to Scripture and not be adding anything to it. But what was added, added here is they would teach all the priests, including Zechariah, uh, up till this day, that if you were burning incense before the Lord, and in the angel of death appears on the right-hand side, that you are a dead man. That is what they taught happened to Aaron's sons. That while nobody else could see this angel, this angel revealed themselves to the two sons. And remember, in, in Aaron's time, the angel of death was, they knew about him very real because why? He is the one who passed over during the Passover. If you did not have the blood on the doorsteps, you were passed over. If you had the blood on the doorsteps, you were passed over. But if you did not, the angel of death entered in your house and the firstborn died. This was very 
real for Aaron and, and those priests of that day. And so this has been taught generation after generation. So I want us to think about Zechariah has now gone into the temple. He's all excited. What a great honor. And he's waiting for the other priests as, as they do the candles and the showbread and the other things that would happen. They now leave, which is a signal for him. It is now time for him to go before God and pray and burn the incense. And if he gets to walk out, that means that God honored his prayer and that, they, that he was accepted before God in what he did. But what happens as, as we read here in Luke, it says that as he's burning the incense, an angel of the Lord appears where? At the right hand of the altar. What's going through Zechariah's mind? Why is he afraid to see this angel? He thinks he's a dead man. This is not just like, whoa, this is an angel. Yes, seeing an angel might just scare the, everything out of you. I had to clean that up a little bit. <laughs> But the reality is, Zechariah is a holy man. And he knows that this angel is standing to the right side of the altar. He's in trouble. And what's going on outside? The people are praying, including his wife Elizabeth. And why? What could you imagine going on in her mind? What is taking Zechariah so long? What happens when a, a priest takes too long to come out of the temple? He's dead. She thinks she's just become a widow. There is a reason why with the priest they would tie a rope around his leg. Because no one was about to go in and get you out. They were going to pull you out because they weren't going to get struck down for, for your disobedience. And so we understand all this that's going on with, with Zechariah in the temple. And he's afraid. But he is told not to be afraid. He is told that his prayer has been heard and God is going to answer it. I want you to think right now, is there anything that, if you could pray for anything right now, and you knew God would answer you immediately, like Zechariah receives, what would it be? What do you think Zechariah prayed for? Many of us, when we read the passage, we assume he's praying for a child. I really sincerely doubt Zechariah's praying for a child. I think that is a prayer he's prayed many times in his life, but the hope of that has faded away. You see that in his response. He is an old man. What is he praying for? He is praying for revival in Israel. That is his prayer. And that is the prayer Gabriel tells him has been answered. And how is it going to be answered? By giving Zechariah a son who would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. It is far beyond anything Zechariah could comprehend. And so he does what I think most of us would have, would have done if we understand what the, the Scripture is saying, that he is well along in years. So that is telling us that he is at least 60 years old and his wife the same. And so when we look at that, and either Zechariah appears to be older than Elizabeth, because he says, you know, my, my wife is um, well along in years. He doesn't say she's old. He's smart enough not to do that. And I recommend you husbands, don't call your wife old. But what, what happens here is he has this moment of real doubt. He says, I, I am too old. I, I can't be a father to a child at my age. He's like, my wife won't be able to conceive a child. Let us remind, remind us of what God has done in the past. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90. We can look over and over. God is able to do the impossible. So next time, before we, we go before God, I want to list out all the complaints of why it's too hard, why we're too old, or we're out of shape, we can't do this, we, we don't have enough resources. You can list over and over and over. 
But I tell you, God is able to do it. If God desires to do it through you, He is going to do it. Stop fighting Him. God will bring glory to His name. And He will use us as incomprehensible as that is. I know we don't feel worthy to be used by God. and Amen. We're not worthy to be used by God. But He has made us worthy through the blood of His Son. Amen. So when you say, I'm not good enough, what you're really doing, as we talked about in Sunday school, you are being the moon, you're reflecting the light of Jesus. When you're saying, I'm not good enough, you're saying, Jesus isn't good enough. God isn't able to do this for me. God is able. And He's willing to do it. So I want us to think about Zechariah and his response here. I, I understand his response. But it's not the right response to have when, when an angel of God stands before you and says, God is going to do this. And so he is silenced. What does silence mean for Zechariah? And I, I'm sure Elizabeth enjoyed the silence to, to some extent, especially during the latter months of her pregnancy. But the reality is silence brings about one thing. It forces you to listen. Zechariah was not listening to what God was telling him through the angel. And so the angel reveals who he is. Let's, let's think about, about this angel and exactly who he is. The angel Gabriel. One who stands in the very presence of God. We don't see him very often. We see him specifically when God is about to tell us plans of what he is doing regarding the Messiah. <coughs> You'll see him in three occurrences. The first one is about 500 years before this in Babylon. He appears before Daniel. And when Daniel looks at Gabriel, what does he do? He falls on his face as if he's dead. This is not an easy thing to look upon the face of an angel, especially the one who is in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. And he tells Daniel, do not be afraid, and gives him a great prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. And again, he appears before Zechariah and he says, your son will be exceedingly great. He is going to prepare the way for the Lord. In fact, there's six main things he tells Zechariah here. He says, John will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll, be a, he'll take a Nazarite vow from birth. You can think back to Samson and uh, Samuel are, are the two Old Testament prophet and a judge who, who take this vow. When we look at, at Samuel, he, he is devoted to the Lord from the time he is born. As soon as he is weaned from his mother, he is given to Eli in the temple, and he is raised to be a prophet. He is never to touch alcoholic drink, and he is never to have his hair cut, and he is used mightily of God. We also see it with Samson, but Samson kind of screws things up along the way. <clears throat> you know, and we could see the, the kind of parallel with, with Samuel. He was one who sought out and anointed the kings. He anointed Saul and David. What is John going to do? He is going to show the people the king of all kings, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It says, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit from, from before he is born, from the time he is conceived. Oftentimes in our culture, we want to fight about different things, and one of those is abortion. If you're talking to someone, I would tell you to turn to this passage. It is murder. Because you are, you are killing something that has been born in the image of God. And the Holy Spirit here gives testimony that that child is alive long before he is born. John is filled from the very moment he is conceived. 
We are told that John would start a national revival, that he would prepare the people, turn the, the children's back to their father, and, and they're do, disobedient to the wisdom of the just in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. That he would have the spirit and the power of Elijah. If you want to know about that, I encourage you to read Elijah. But this is a man who could stop rain when he wanted to. He had that kind of faith. That is the kind of prophet that John the Baptist will be. And in fact, while we find him in the New Testament, he is truly the last Old Testament prophet that we encounter. And ultimately, his, his role is to make people ready for the Lord. When, when we see him, he, he is baptizing people and he is preparing disciples for Jesus. When he says, Behold the Lamb of God, what happens? Most of John's disciples leave and go follow Jesus as they should. You're not to follow me or Brother Mike or Jaime or anyone else. You're to follow Jesus. And that's what John's purpose was. What happens shortly after he shows Jesus to the world? He's beheaded. He does not get no grand parade here on earth. But Jesus said he is the greatest that has ever been born. Understand his reward is not on this earth. Stop looking for earthly things to be your reward. Look to heaven. Look to paradise. That is where your reward awaits you. When we look at Zechariah's response and the, and, the, and the engagement he has with the angel, you know the, this this response that the angel has says, "I am Gabriel." Enough said. He said, "I stand in the presence of God. What I have spoken, I have spoken with God's authority to tell you." And he goes on and he tells him what what kind of son he's going to have and and the great work that he's going to do. And immediately Zechariah is silenced. Some of us, I think, with our complaints we bring before God, we need to be silent. We need to study God's Word and see what it says. And stop telling God what He can and cannot do. God tells you what you can and cannot do. You don't get to tell Him that. We, we see as, as Zechariah walks out of the temple, I can only imagine Elizabeth has this great uh, sense of relief that Zechariah is alive, first of all. But then as he's as he's trying to tell them what's happened, he's unable to speak. And he's trying to, to make motions to tell them what, what's going on, and he can't. And for the next nine and a half months, Zechariah would be silent. We'll look at how rejoiceful he is when he's able to speak. But Zechariah has a serious job ahead of him. He is the one who is going to train John the Baptist. Train the one who, who Malachi says is going to prepare the way of the Lord. That is not an easy task. We, we, in the Sunday school book, it talked about John the Baptist a little bit this morning and how, what it would have been like. Not too many of us grow up and say, you know what, I want to go live in the desert by myself, eat locusts and honey, you know, a camel, camel's hair, that's going to be my clothes, and I'm going to, to tell people that the Messiah is coming. It's not a game plan most of us have in our books. I want to tell everyone the Messiah has come and is coming again. The camel hair I could do without, though. But that, that was John's life. And he was a bold preacher. He told people like it is. He's your original hellfire and brimstone man. And he was beheaded for it. He told people when they were sinning. And Herod didn't like that too much. But God tells us that, that we have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. We should not get angry at God for it we, as they should not have got angry at John the Baptist for it. But we should get down on our knees and seek repentance. And that's what John offered. 
says, I am baptizing you with water, but there is one, Jesus, who is coming after me, and he will baptize you with fire of the Holy Spirit. If you have been saved, you have that Holy Spirit living in you. As, as we get ready to close, I, I want to leave you with one final word. Does anybody here know what the name John means? We'll see later on that John is not a family name for Zechariah. John, you know, we see it a lot in the New Testament, but it's not a very common name. There are two or three in the Old Testament that carry that name. But what does John mean? Yahweh is gracious. Grace is what it means. So I want you to think about the prayer of Zechariah, praying for his people, standing in that altar praying. All of a sudden an angel stands before him and says, Zechariah, the Lord has heard your prayer, and he is giving you a son, and you shall name him Grace. Grace is coming. Grace is coming before the Lord to prepare the way for the Lord, to prepare the people before the Lord. God has offered you this day grace. Because Christ is coming. Christ has offered you grace. But I want to offer you grace this day because there's going to be no need for incense here at the altar. There's need for you to be on your knees in prayer. Grace is what you need. And grace is what God has offered. But a day is coming where Jesus is going to return very soon. Christ is coming back. And you know what leaves with Him? The church and all the grace that God has offered. Because the time of grace will be up. The time of judgment will begin. Grace will only be with us a little while longer. It is by the grace of God any of us can call ourselves saved. Any of us can call ourselves righteous. I am not righteous. Christ is righteous. It's His grace that He's given us to, to allow us to come and bend, get on, down on bended knee and say, God, You are holy. Forgive me a sinner. And He is faithful to do so. What is even more mind-boggling than that is He will use you to reach others. Think about that. Think about who we are before a holy God. On one hand, we are utter, helpless, sinful children. But because of His Son, He sees us as holy and righteous and desires to use us like He would use Zechariah. Outside of this moment, we would never know the name of Zechariah. And when the world is done, the world may never know your name, but Christ will know your name and He will make your deeds known to the entire world. When we stand before God in judgment, we will give testimony of what we've done for good or for evil. And to, for many that are here that, that are seeking out God and, and you're doing it for God's glory, He will bless you with rewards beyond belief. It speaks of a holy crown that will be put upon your head. But when you and I stand before Christ, we will not consider that worthy to be worn in His presence. We will cast it at His feet. For He alone is worthy.